step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And whew, it was it was a close game for a while, Glenn. Uh, game one between the Predators and the Hurricanes. And then mistakes happened and Carolina took full advantage of them. And we saw the Carolina Hurricanes come out and do what a lot of folks expected the Carolina Hurricanes to do against the National Predators. There, there were moments where the Predators looked like they were absolutely in it. And they were. I mean, based on the they score, were. they were absolutely in the game. But that's what good, te- really good teams do. Elite teams do is they take advantage of little mistakes that are made, and the Predators made some costly errors uh, defensively, and the Hurricanes took full advantage of it. Yep, they did, and I mean that's what a Carolina Hurricanes team is going to do. Um, we've kind of all anticipated this, right? This is what the anticipation. Whoever was going to get them in the first round has to know when you're playing against one of the best teams in the league. Um, it's very, very hard to find lapses in their game, but when they find lapses in your game. They capitalize on that. And the first and second period, um, I mean, it was fun to watch. You know, the Predators were definitely in that game. But that third period, I mean, I, I think I just sat there almost waiting for the next shoe to drop because you just know at some point it's coming, <laughs> right? You, you right. know it's coming against Carolina. Um, and, I mean, granted, I know that some of the calls that were made were not massive penalties, but they were penalties and they put you in the box. And – you cannot do that. You cannot do that against the Carolina, against the Carolina team. I mean, they have the best power play. They have the best penalty kill right now. It's just, you cannot do that. And you're, they continue to give them opportunity after opportunity and one little slip up, one little defensive lapse in front of the net after Soros went out on his head to make a save. And then it, that, that third period got really tough to watch, but that is something that if you want to get past the first round and you're the natural predators, you have to figure that out. You absolutely do. So let's kind of break some things down here. Penalties, obviously, are one of the things that was talked about a lot from the player perspective and from the coaching perspective. The Carolina Hurricanes didn't score on the power play. So the penalty kill for the Predators did all right. But what it does do is it wears a team down. When you were on the penalty kill that often – yeah, maybe you kill it off, but it still wears you down and it affects you later on in the game. And head coach John Hines said in post game, and we'll talk about some of his decisions later, uh, we're soft. The penalties were soft. I mean, interference, tripping, tripping. Uh, there's a high sticking, holding. A lot of those are avoidable penalties. They have to be avoidable. And now there was the one that there was the penalty that basically saved a goal uh, from, from happening that, that, Vincent Trocek was able to, to draw the tripping penalty uh, on Johansson there. So, okay, you can call that a, an okay, good penalty, but it's because Ryan Johansson got beat and yeah. defense and then interference, holding, things like that cannot happen. Uh, asked, I asked Philip Forsberg about this in terms of the balance because it has to be balanced between the physicality and also not getting in the box. And we look at physicality, whew, we all know, we, we saw what was happening out there, but in terms yeah. of what the, the stat sheet says, 48 hits 
and the Natural Predators. 55 hits for the Carolina Hurricanes. That's playoff hockey. You do not see this happen in a regular season game. Now, granted, it wasn't because of the physicality necessarily of going to the box, but when you get beat because things may get physical or you get beat out by another player, that leads to penalties. And that's what was happening in this game is those penalties. If you continue to test the Carolina Hurricanes and their power play, they're going to make you pay. They're going to make you yep. pay tremendously. Uh, they didn't. This game, this The score could have been worse. It really could I know, have been worse. And that's, that's where my point lies. It's yep. I'm unfazed at the fact that the Nashville Predators did not let Carolina score on the power play. Like I'm unfazed by that because every single opportunity that you give them, you're just inching closer to that next opportunity of them capitalizing and showing you why they have one of the best power plays in the league. So it's just, you're just slowly inching yourself closer and closer and closer, just asking for it, you know? So that's why you have, you cannot make small costly mistakes because at, at some point, it's not going to be a small mistake and it's going to be, and it's going to be big and it's going to cost you a game. Exactly. I know it may sound like we're poo-pooing on the Preds and everything, but it's more like no. this kind of went ex- how we kind of expected things to mm-hmm. go. And it's, it's one of those things that shows that there's still work to be done on the predator side, just in terms of I mean, lineup special teams. So let's go to special teams now on the other side on the power play side. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> You could tell there was an element missing. And it was more than just Ellie Tolvanen. I mean, yeah, I think Ellie Tolvanen obviously could have been out there on the power play and things could happen. You need danger on both sides, on both wings for a power play to be successful. But even with Tolvanen in the lineup, the second unit of the power play, it's not like they were going to be any better than what they already were. The power play needs a lot of work. And it's not like this game came down to the special teams. Carolina obviously wore the Predators down but it didn't come down to it, but other games could. This could be the type of thing to where it could be a game four and it could be a potential elimination game. Not trying to hot take and say that already, but it could be that your backs are against the wall. Can this team produce a power play goal when they absolutely have to? Right now, no. There were not any signs of this power play being able to step up and put a puck in the back of the net when they had to. Carolina had plenty of chances. The Predators penalty kill and Eustace Charles just stepped up when they absolutely needed to in the PK. But that's the difference you saw. There were opportunities for Carolina that just weren't able to convert. Nashville looked discombobulated in the power play. That's a scary difference. And yes, it's one game, but these are all those things collectively that are going to need to change in game two and beyond for the Predators just to get back in the series. We saw how good Carolina can be, even with the shaky rookie goaltender. That was one of those things too, is like the Predators could have taken even more advantage of if they were able to, which... Carolina's really good and didn't allow it as much, but Nadelkovic was, was pretty shaky. You, you could tell he was a rookie in net. Now he's just going to gain more confidence as you go. So if you don't rattle him enough early on, he's just going to build that confidence to not even think that he's a rookie. He's just, I got a great team in front of me. I can do whatever I want. So power play obviously needs some fixing Glenn. And, and <laughs> you were going to take a drink. I'm so I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, it does. It, it needs some fixing. It needs work. Um, like you said, there are multiple elements missing, but I think that somebody like an Ellie Tolvanen can go in there and give a jolt, not just to the power play, but to just five on five in general. I mean, I know the last few weeks might've been different than what we had seen from him before, but I think game one of the Stanley cup playoffs, I think that he is a missing element. And I think that his absence for me, at least was, was noticeable tonight. Um, And I think that kind of leads us into just, I mean, so many people on Twitter are talking 
uh, it's line up. Everybody yeah. has questions. I think though, I mean, but what all of us have to remember too, is that this, this is game one. So I don't think any of us went into tonight saying whatever this lineup is tonight is what it's going to be for the rest of the uh, year. I don't yeah, think anybody, I don't think anybody truly thought that, but I think a lot of the responses were people <laughs> thinking that. Um, but I mean, this is where the game will change or it won't change. And I think that we definitely are going to see changes. It'll just be curious to see what those are. Yeah, John Hines got a little bit frustrated with the questions uh, post game. And I mean, if you saw my tweet, you knew that was going to happen. Everyone was fully prepared for that to happen, that there were going to be questions about the lineup because it was going with a little extra beef. Yeah, we know the fourth line of, for instance, of Trenin, Janot, and Sissons. Yeah, that makes sense. But they also just Matthew Olivier. And it's not against Matthew Olivier. It's like you're taking out a Nick Cousins, Ellie Tolvanen, and especially Tolvanen is probably a big one. But even a Cousins could play in the third line, and he's had some good chemistry with Eric Halla. Rocco Grimaldi is another one that I know people mm-hmm. are pretty upset about. But then you sometimes question his defensive game. So there are plenty of questions there. Then who on the back end going with Good Branson and Harper over Dante Fabro and even Matt Benning? And those guys there. That, one, that the, one was very, very obvious and very, very tough. To that, see. I, I understand Eric Goodbranson more than mm-hmm. than Ben Harper. Eric Goodbranson, like, okay, veteran presence and everything. At least he's been in tough situations before. Uh, being out there, maybe he can lead a little bit on the ice. He can be physical as well. But dear God, do not pair him with Ben Harper. Are you kidding me? That. You, People have clamored about the third pairing being awful for how many years? And then you dress Eric Goodbranson and Ben Harper? Come on! That that is not saying, yep, we have a strong third pairing. That's a, our third pair is going to hit you and you're probably going to beat us. I mean, Carolina speed and that third pairing, especially when you have, when you don't have the last change, Carolina has the last change. So you can only imagine how much Carolina is salivating when you're throwing out a Ben Harper and Eric Goodbranson on a third pair and on a faceoff, even if it's a Predators offensive zone faceoff, all Carolina has to do, which they did, is get it out of the zone and speed on past them. And then it's just standing there like a traffic cone. So the, some of those things are just are very questionable. And John Hines obviously was frustrated with questions being asked about that, but they're legit questions. We have to ask these questions. Unfortunately, I didn't get mine in, but we have to ask these questions because it's like, come on, you Dante Fabro. If you're going to put him out there, the third pairing, fine. But not Fabro and Goodbranson, I would have been way more okay with that. Yeah. Way more okay. Well, yeah, I think that that's a lot of what I saw on Twitter. And that was kind of what I thought, too. I mean, when you think about where this team, how this team got to where it is now over the last couple of months, I mean, Dante Fabro played a solid game. But at, that's where I was kind of stunned. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, he's not going to be in – any other games the series, I'm sure that he will. This is just how John right. Hines chose to right. start the series off. But I do not understand the logic behind starting that series off With that. without him and putting Harper in instead. That, I, I just I haven't been able to grasp that one yet. So. Especially when you're the away team, when you don't have the last yeah. change. That, oh, last that, I mean, that arena, play. yeah. Watching hmm. it on television, that arena is hard to play in. Yeah. That was... That was big playoff vibes. <laughs> yeah, and Carolina's tough to play against, especially when you're that third yeah. pairing out there. Okay, 
we've 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 complained a lot. Let's try to find something positive and also get her take on it. Abigail Martin from Penalty Box Radio is going to join us up next. Excited to have her on. She's been doing great things down at MTSU and reporting their athletics and also has been a great reporter for Penalty Box Radio. Obviously, with COVID and everything, haven't been able to get her into as many Predators games, but she has valuable opinions, and we want to see what she thinks. Up next from Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And, you know, I wanted to try to find something positive. And I figured if someone's going to be able to find something a little bit positive in this, as well as give her full-on analysis of the game, too, we can bring on Abigail Martin of Penalty Box Radio. Abigail, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. Absolutely. So this game obviously was very frustrating. In the whole first segment, we, we basically had a – uh, a complaint session, uh, for lack of a word, I can't say it due to FCC standards here. Uh, but is there something positive you saw out of this game? And I know I could probably find something too, but I wanted to give someone else an opportunity to say, is there something that the Predators can build off of that you saw in game one? Well, I think Glenn Blackwell said it best, is where did the vibing go? And that has a positive <laughs> and a negative note to it. And I promise you I'll get to that. But Glenn, whenever you, I saw that tweet, I was like, that is perfect. The positive, Philip Forsberg's mustache beautiful and we saw that with the Selly. but uh, really going back to that play Joe Hansen's um, handling from that play the pass leading Forsberg up to that moment absolutely beautiful that is something that we have to see more of in order for the Preds team to have a fighting chance UC Soros played decent I think is a good way to put it there were some if moments especially um, in the second period with that second goal it, he was leaning a little bit too more. He was ready for that back pass. However, he went for the goal, top-notch. Beautiful play by him. However, that's something that I'm sure Saros is looking back now is, ah, ugh. But I think one of the most important things that the Preds have going for them is, at least before this game, how they were able to get into the mentality of this Carolina Hurricanes team. They seemed a little bit rattled, and it was definitely in the first period. They were very rattled, and we saw that in the physicality that was being played. However, after the first period, the Predators were, have just disappeared. I'm not sure where that went. We saw a little bit of that energy come back with that second goal coming from Hala. And what a beautiful play from Janot in front with the screen using his body. Um, Brad and Justin, I know you said something about that as well. And Those screens are exactly what you need. You have to get the pucks in net. But honestly, there are a lot more negatives than there were positives. And speaking of those negatives, Abigail, Justin and I just talked on the first segment about the lineup. There were a few iffy things um, that all of us were kind of thinking, what? Ellie Tolvanen was out, but I think we kind of anticipated that. John Hines had made it kind of clear over the radio the last couple of days that that was in question. Um, but looking at that third defensive pairing, you know, Dante Fabro sitting out. So let's just say your coach Hines looking ahead to game two, what would you change? Because Justin and I tried to give, you know, we gave our little hot take, not hot takes, but we gave our little takes <laughs> in the first segment about how we feel. Um, but what would you change going into game two, just to kind of give this team that confidence back that we had been seeing them um, have in the last couple of months? You said it best, the players that you spoke of, having Dante Fabro and having Ellie Tolvin in back in the lineup. Those are definitely two players that, I would want to see the third pairing. They've got to go. They have got to go. 44, take him out, bring it up to 59. <laughs> and you got Dante Fabro back in the lineup. And it's really bad because I was looking and I'm thinking, is that Matt Irwin out there? It was 
very confusing. I know, and that's really bad, but I think that's something that can bring the confidence back in. Yes, that'd be a confidence hit for them, but at the same time, this Hurricanes team, they're fast. They are so fast, and you have to be able to keep up with them. I saw Harper get ran over probably twice, so he's got two strikes against him. I am running very thin on patience. So we have to have these – we have to see these players that are going to come in. They're going to provide that strength, um, this ability to be able to move up and down the ice to fight with this team because they're great on both sides. I think even throughout the broadcast we heard you can't give up anything with this Carolina Hurricanes team, and you especially don't want to see it on when they're on special teams. So the discipline is going to be something we have to see as well. Um, but Rocco Grimaldi, I think he should have a spot back up in this lineup as well. He's someone that he is very fast. And also with that, Grimaldi and Tolvanen are part of the top five scorers for this team. So I'm very confused as to why they are sitting out. This is when you need to see them, and especially with the Predators being 0-11 in the, after, um, excuse me, after being 0-11, if they drop the first game, they have never come back to win a series. So you have to make that mark. And I thought we were going to see that a little bit with Philip Forsberg's first goal. However, you know, that Carolina kept bouncing back, and especially when they had that hard push in the beginning of the third with that go-ahead goal, claiming the lead once again. I think Soros should stay in, especially uh, Janot. I think he's safe. But I think you definitely have to see Fabro coming in, Grimaldi coming back in, Tolvin in. I mean, that's perfect for the power play. And the Predators, we know, aren't very good on the power play either. And Abigail, you mentioned um, the mentality when you were answering Justin's question in the beginning. And that's something I often talk about on the show because I think it's important um, because it is a it is a factor, whether people want to admit that or not, it is a factor in how teams win games and how they lose games. So what do you think that the Predators are going to need from this game one going into game two to get back to that mentality? Because, I mean, we've, we saw glimpses of it. We saw it in the first, but it kind of just appeared that they might have been hanging on by a thread for a little bit. So how do you think they kind of shift that mentality and get back to that confidence of saying, you know what? We know the Carolina Hurricanes are one of the best in the league. They're tough, but we can and are capable of beating this team. Absolutely. And that's even if you have to look back at the regular season when they were able to clinch this playoff that they're now in. I mean, they were able to have this great game. They have amazing depth with this team. I think bringing in the speed is going to be a big thing for the confidence of this team. Once they see that as soon as the puck drops for the first period for the game two on Wednesday, that they're able to catch up they're going to feel a lot less winded than they are whenever they sit on the bench. Even when they're going across, we saw a lot tonight. They were just really hanging on by a thread, like you had said. They're trying to catch up as much as they can, and they're doing nothing, but they're throwing the putt back. They're just trying to get reset. They're trying to get fresh legs out on the ice because they can't keep up. So I think speed's going to be a big thing, and especially as well just being able to move away from this game. And I know players are very easy to say, you know, we're going to forget this one. We're going to move on to game two. It's a new day. But that's exactly what you have to do. This season has been nothing short of surprises. I mean, especially, I mean, look at this team back in March. They weren't, they're not supposed to be here in the Stanley Cup playoffs at all. So you have to forget about that. Look at where your team has shifted and improved just even throughout the short time at the end of this regular season and move forward off that. You have to have trust. And you have to say, I want to make that play. No one else is doing it for me. 
All right, some good points there. Again, Abigail Martin, Penalty Box Radio, joining us here on Penalty Box Radio. Abigail, putting putting yourself in an athlete's shoes, especially because you played varsity sports, you're also just around athletics all the time now with your position at MTSU. In terms of looking at this game, how much do you forget things that happened and then just to go for the next one, no one's a seven-game series? How much time do you think is needs to be spent on a loss like this, or should it more time be spent on preparing for the next game? Yes. That is your answer. <laughs> yes. I think, because that is, that is a really hard balance. And we it talk is. all the time about in life, you know, what is the balance for this and that, the negatives and the positives. I think, especially tonight, you should take a little bit of a break, just a little bit though, but maybe get some rest. It's really just depending on how crushed these players are, because there's, I think, and there's not even a solid answer for this whole Preds team. Every player is so different. Some people are going to go home tonight and they're like, I need to watch this and I need to see what I did. I need to see how I got beat on this play. But some people are like, okay, I need to rest. I understand that I messed up, but tomorrow I'm going to make sure I do better. And that's okay. So as long as you have some period of reflection of the negatives, but to move forward to the positives, then I think you're okay. But I don't think there can be a set time because every player is different. So I think it'd be wrong of me to say a true answer, but definitely reflect. Everyone is begging you, especially John Hines with your lineup making. I threw a curveball at her and she (laughs) knocked it out of the park. Hey, what can I say? (laughs) That's a softball play right there. Right. (laughs) So I always got hit, so I never had to worry about it, but we won't talk about that. Wait, wait, wait. You always got hit by pitches? Is that (laughs) Oh yeah, like that was the like the only way I got on base. That or I bunted, but I always got hit. My coach, I would always so honestly, I would always have a designated hitter. But um, if we needed someone on base, they say, "All right, Gail, you're up." And you know why? Because that first or second pitch, it's hitting my thigh, and I'm on the first base. Easy. Okay. I, 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 I bet you I'm the best. I can relate. When I was playing <laughs> little league growing up, I was the person that was not afraid to hug the plate. Mm-hmm. Still, still within, still within my boundaries, but not afraid to hug the plate. And that's to say that I'd lean into a pitch or anything like that. I was not that kind of player, but I hugged the plate and I created a strike zone for myself. And pitchers would try to throw some weird stuff at me, and I'd get hit by a pitch. So I led mm-hmm. the league in both home <laughs> runs and hit by pitch. So that's e- one of the two factors would come into play. <laughs> Honestly, I scared my little brother out of playing baseball because he was playing. He was playing as a pitcher. Oh but- no. He was always scared to death of getting in that box. And we asked him, we were like, why? And he was like, I always get hit. And I always see Abigail get hit and she doesn't move. She just is like, okay, go. He's like, I don't want to get hit like she does. So ripped his career. Oh gosh. Okay. Last question before I have to let you go. It's only one game. Do you think, and this is making you put on your non-homer, non-mid-state for life hat here. Do the Predators stand a chance to win this series or do you think it's more important for them to just come out and be confident and play competitive hockey what what do you think is more likely if they're going to win the series or play competitive and still lose or this is pretty much done is over in four or five one of those three scenarios okay i said (laughs) i said before this game had started it was noah maddox asked me he said what do you think is going to happen and i have never been a person to pick a prediction or anything like that but he asked me he's like do you think they're even capable of winning i said absolutely because, we, again, we saw it in the regular season. This team has shown us to be okay with being surprised and being stuck on our toes. 
And I think that speaks for every fan, for all media and everything. You don't know what to expect, even when you think right. you do. They're moving in the right direction. So I absolutely think that they are capable of coming out to winning this series. Um, and this first round, if they make it past, this is going to say a lot about this team. Because the Her Carolina Hurricanes, they're not an easy team to play against. Obviously, we saw that tonight with a final score of 5-2. to two. Um, We also saw defensemen leading with shots on goal, which I'm not happy about. But that's a story for a different time. But I think they are capable of doing it. They have the leaders on this team, but they have to show up. Okay, so it's not over, according to you. Not over yet. It's not over, but, you know, things can change at any moment. We've learned that this year, no matter what. But I – even going against that 0-11 record that I was speaking about earlier, I think they're still going to be able to do it. This could be it. All right, there you go. Abigail Martin, Penalty Box Radio. Make sure you're checking out all of her work, especially covering MTSU Athletics. She's doing great work down there, so really proud of all of her work. Abigail, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Y'all have a great night. All right, Thank Glenn. You. Abigail Martin doing great work there, covering the Predators as well, and we'll get her back in the press box next season. I guarantee it. She has such a calm presence about her. I think that we we really needed her voice tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, up next, let's hear from Boyd Farish and get his take on it. He definitely has an analytical mind, likes looking at the different types of stats and everything. So we're going to get his take on this. He's also penalty box. We're doing an all PBR show here, folks. That's, that's just how we're going to roll right now because the playoffs and it's just bam, bam, bam. So Boyd Farish joining us up next from penalty box here to ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And joining us now is Boyd Farish, also Penalty Box Radio, a good analyst as well. He loves putting these things together for us on PenaltyBoxRadio.com, spending some great articles, especially on the stock rising and lowering on some players. So I can't wait to see what happens this offseason with some of his analysis. Boyd, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me. Sure thing. So let's go right into this and get your instant analysis before we dive into things what was your first take and this is probably going to be some repetitive from me glenn and abigail <laughs> that i previously have on the show but it's always good to see is if everyone is on the same page and looking at this because then that helps tell the story too so what's your instant analysis of game one um i mean really the first couple of periods um especially the first period um looked pretty good i mean the first period i would say looked like the april preds the second period kind of looked like the february preds and the third period was the Preds not even there. Um, basically, you know, it, they were they were doing some things right. They were, you know, trying to get to the net, um, you know, trying to, you know, play play physical. The, the things that worked in those last couple of games, uh, the penalty kill looked strong. They were doing a good job tying up sticks around the net. Um, so some real positives there. Um, but man, once that got to the third period, they just absolutely got folded in half. And we want to talk with you, Boyd, about the lineup, because this is obviously a huge topic after game one. A lot of questions on why John Hines decided to go with the lineup that he did for this game. Um, a lot of speculation and assumption, um, including on my part, that this lineup will change on game two, right? I think that we all think that it has to, but what are your thoughts on the lineup that John Hines started with tonight? And where do you think that lineup should change in game two? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, what I really feel like is for this game, Hines tried to double down on those last two games. So playing physical, you know, really trying to, 
you know, drive that hard play, that heavy four check against a team that is simply faster and more skilled. Um, and, you know, where that, that works in some cases, um, Trenton and Sissons were both quite good, um, both in bringing the physical play, but not losing the possession battle. On the flip side of that, Harper and Goodbranson were terrible. Um, against a team like Carolina, your, your defensive pairs especially have got to be able to move the puck. And Harper and Goodbranson just can't do that. And Carolina is very fast. Harper and Goodbranson are, well, not. So even if you're going to keep that physical play among the forwards from Trennan, Sissons, Janot, Olivier, who were all, you know, had pretty solid games, you have to compensate defensively and have skaters that can more effectively keep up with the cane speed, but also be able to move the puck when they're under pressure in their own end. And Boyd, looking at the lineup again from tonight, we saw Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson back together again. What are your thoughts on having the Jofa line back together, what you saw tonight, and would you make any changes there? I might. I mean, with, with Arvidsson having been out for a couple of weeks now, um, it, it might serve him well to maybe drop to the third line um, and just maybe see some easier defensive assignments. Um I don't, I don't think he deserves to be scratched. Uh, that's just some tough sledding against a very good top, uh, top four for Carolina. So, you know, is there an opportunity to maybe even put Matt Duchesne there who looked good with uh, Forsberg and Johansson in that last game? And strangely tonight, he was almost 70% possession on the game, had a primary assist on Howell's goal but for some reason only played seven minutes of five versus five ice time, um, which was, I believe the lowest among all forwards. So, you know, part of the, part of the issue is, you know, they, you, you have to have some offensive firepower um, to keep up with Carolina. They're just too good offensively. You're not going to shut them down night overnight. And if you can, you know, maybe, create some more offensive punch in the top line that can handle those stronger defensive pairs maybe bring in Ellie Tolvin in on the second line um, and, and have an opportunity to create more of a threat on the power play, which, Oh, that was terrible. Um, which by the way, tons of credit to Carolina. They absolutely stifled any opportunity for Nashville entering the zone. That was really impressive. Um, but then also if, if you can maybe drop Arvids into that third line, playing with Howla, maybe with either Yarncroke or Janot. Uh, maybe you create some, some better opportunities for Arvidsson, um, you know, to use his speed against the lower lineup and the lower defensive pairs for Carolina. Yeah, I really do like what you said there, especially about potentially having Duchesne with Johansson for There's some creativity and speed there at least, and then you have a, an actual top line. Uh, again, Boyd Farish of Penalty Box Radio, joining us here on Penalty Box Radio. And you're talking about how good of a team Carolina is. Let's talk expected goals in all situations. And folks, this is just expected goals over we'll, – I'll let Boyd explain it too so we can get into this. But Carolina was a 3.93 expected goals in all situations. Nashville's only 1.44. 
So that just shows how good of a team Carolina is when those are the expected goals numbers right there too. It's not just mistakes being made by the Predators, the Predators not doing this or that. It's just Carolina's that good. Is there anything the Predators can do to stifle that? And what would they need to do to stifle that Carolina offense, which is so powerful? And I'll go and throw out two. Two of the top guys didn't even really score for Carolina in terms of five-on-five goals. Like Sveshnikov had the empty netter, and Ajo was off the score sheet. That's dangerous when they're winning like that, and those two guys aren't even scoring. Yeah, I mean, really, the biggest things, um, you have to limit the neutral zone turnovers. Carolina, and and also the defensive zone turnovers. Carolina is so fast and so skilled. um, they, They turn those plays around and turn, you know, defense or neutral play into offense very quickly and they they move themselves and move the puck uh, very quickly so really it's a it's a very stable game that the predators have to play they have to get the puck deep i know total cliche alert um but they 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 have to work the puck into the zone and make carolina work defensively and um, not just bringing the physical plagues. I think almost anybody watching the game tonight would see Carolina was ready for it. They were, they were hitting back. They were pushing back. They were ready for the physical play. So while you want to maintain that, you want to change it a little bit, you know, make them think about what you're going to do. Are you going to play the puck or play the body? Um, so, and then on the defensive side, you know, really have to maintain structure and not start chasing the puck and also really moving the puck quickly. Uh, a couple of the goals that sco- that got scored, especially Jordan Stahl's second, you know, Ryan Ellis under pressure tried to turn, turn the puck over behind the net. And five seconds later, it was in the back of the net. In that moment, you, you got to move the puck. You got to get it out of that area and start to, you know, reset the defense, reset the structure and work back towards regaining possession and working for a clear. Yeah, a, a lot of good points there. So let's look at the back end. The Predators obviously have some choices to utilize. And we already kind of touched on this, but going with Harper Goodbranson was a, uh, what? What? <laughs> what? In terms of this, it, I'm okay with Goodbranson, but just not with Harper. That is an awful pairing to put out there because a the Goodbranson, which you think he's going to offer physicality, leadership-wise, veteran presence, what, whatever you want. If you had the choice between Fabro or Benning, that should be out there. Let's just try to put our minds in John Hines and David Poyle's uh, head here too, because thinking that they're going to dress good Branson period, but that's probably going to be rotating other spot there too. What is your take on Faber or Benning being out there? Game two, I think it would probably end up being Benning. Um, and, and that's nothing against Fabro. I think Fabro actually had a really nice season going before he got hurt. Um, he just hadn't played a whole lot um, in, you know, quite some time. So I think in a, in a game two where you have to keep it tight, you can't have mistakes. If, if you're going to ice good Branson, you probably need to ice Matt Benning with him and maybe save Dante Fabro for a home game. Ooh, yes. I like that. So going into that too, to kind of wrap things up, how much consideration, and this is the question I want to ask John Hines, how much consideration do you take into the last change and that being said, too, I would have been more okay. And when I say that, just take it with a grain of salt, people more okay with the good Branson Harper thing at home, 
because at least yeah. you have the last change than it would be on the road where Carolina could just go, really, you want to do that? Sure. Yeah, we'll take yeah. that. So how much consideration do you take last change, especially in the playoffs? Because matchups are the, what get talked about so much in the playoffs. So how much consideration do you take into that last change for the home team thing? If, if they're thinking about icing bigger, slower players, I mean, that has to be a consideration. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, that's, that's something you can, you can look at at home. If, if you want to ice that larger, more, more physical lineup, um, on the road, you, you have to have the guys who can move the puck and the guys that can skate. And that's, you know, it was just incredibly borne out in, in this game tonight, especially it got in the third period where, you know, it, it felt like Harper and good Branson were out there for half of the period. They just kept getting stuck in. They couldn't get it out and they just kept having to ice it. Um, and then every time they get back on the ice, last change, here comes, here comes the SAT line and just, just hem them right back in. And so it's, it's something where it was an interesting test, I think, um, to see how Carolina would respond to the kind of Uber physical lineup. Um, you know, Carolina passed that test. They, they played very well against it. Um, and if the Predators are going to push deeper into this series, they are going to have to rethink the lineup and um, get some more puck moving and better skating defensively and a bit more offensive firepower offensively. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Boyd Ferris with his take. Some good analysis there on the, on the National Predators in game one. Boyd, we appreciate it. And we'll be looking for the next article here in the near future because I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a, a good one here when, whenever the series is over. <laughs> Absolutely. Really appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for having me. All right. It's Boyd Ferris from Penalty Box Radio joining us here. Uh, up next, let's look at instant game reaction and some questions, topics you want us to cover from Twitter. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025, The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Boxer here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. Uh, big thanks to Abigail Martin and Boyd Farish for joining us, both the Penalty Box Radio crew. Really appreciate that and just love seeing great representation from the PBR folks out there providing different types of analysis. Now, let's go to the Twitter sphere, Glenn, and see what fans had to say instant reaction. I asked last night, immediately following the final horn, for some instant reaction and topics they wanted us to, to discuss. And, oh boy... <laughs> People were. I love a good instant reaction. People were people were excited, not just excited, <laughs> but they were excited. They were real excited. <laughs> so let's just let's let's roll from the top of things. I was just copying and pasting in here so we could read it. Uh, Tyson Hinchberger, uh, would you dress two of the worst statistical defensemen in the league as a pairing for a road game where the opposing team has last change? Well, that answer is no. I would not. Uh, yeah. we, shout out to Tyson the answer is no the answer is no <laughs> that's that's I'm very curious to see what happens at the third pairing game too and I think Boyd hit it on the head in terms of what the thought process was which is doubling down and saying hey you know it worked in these two games and we were able to kind of shut down Carolina let's let's see what happens if we do this again in the playoffs well we got our answer yep and now and now we know now John Hines knows yep go from there yep uh, Bradley Moyer also lineup decisions would be my biggest question that's the big one for me I, I want to see Ellie Tolvanen in there 
And I like what Boyd said about putting Duchesne back up at the top line to see their Arvidsson down the third to reduce his defensive responsibilities, I think actually would work in his favor. And hopefully you get a good matchup to use Arvidsson's speed against maybe a lesser, and that's saying that very quotation marks, lesser Carolina line because they're so deep as well. So I do like that. I like Tolvin and getting in there. And the biggest thing for me is that third pairing in terms of lineup. Uh, yeah. Got to change that. Either Fabro Benning has to come in has to come in 100% has to come in that that has to be a change and me I'm not as sold on getting Grimaldi in the lineup especially in the playoffs there's a lot of defensive responsibility that comes in the playoffs uh, I think home game for Rocco Grimaldi would make a lot more sense than an away game uh, for Rocco Grimaldi those those are things right there that that I'm looking at okay Next, let's see here. This one is coming from <laughs> this one's a reaction from Ben McGreevy. Why did Hines make such horrific lineup choices? Yep, that is a another <laughs> that is another take. There's no need to, to continue on on that. Thomas Gray, Ben Harper needs to stop running his mouth after he's getting blown by on the ice. Glenn, did you notice that? Did you see that he was running his mouth? Everybody's wondering what Harper was doing after he got beat. Yeah. That was what the next question was the same one, right? Robert Martin, what was Harper doing at the yeah. end of the game? That was talking about. Yep. Like, I mean, we're in game one of the playoffs. Like, what is happening? What are what are we seeing? That that was another question. I think all of us were like, come on now. This <laughs> something's something's off here. Come something's on, man. Right. Come on, man. Uh, I Pred- like you've been here before. You know better than that. Right. Uh, Pred <laughs> Kelly, uh, not surprised to have seen the lineup decisions. Some top guys had very bad games too. Yeah. Roman Yossi did not have the best game of his life. Ryan Ellis did not have his did best game. Good. They both got beat a little bit too and had some elements of the Dallas series where Ellis got beat plenty uh, in that one. So uh, Ellis is a, com- is a competitor in terms of we know when he's pissed off so it's about how is he going to respond how are all these players going to respond but especially that top pairing for defense how are they going to respond to this because they did not look that strong uh, and they're capable of being extremely strong so again line of decisions there uh, dylan king uh, it was pretty good until about halfway when we stopped shooting we kind of owned the first period physically then lost it a soft goal and then a few bad defensive plays can absolutely rule uh, ruin a good game quickly disappointed with the 0 for 4 power play i'm sorry 0 for 5 i'm sure tolvin could have helped i mean that's a lot of big points right there mm-hmm. a lot of dylan just kind of hit everything i mean the predators were absolutely in this game they were we've they discussed were. that they were in this game they had their chances and then some some bad decisions, not being able to clear the puck out. And there was a, a goal that obviously Saros would probably want back, but then there's some beautiful goals that Carolina Hurricane scored too. I mean, that stall goal, that awkward angle. Okay. And then the tip in a Tara yeah. I mean, those are difficult to stop right off the bat. Those are really good goals for those guys to score. Yeah. That first stall goal. I mean, that oh. on any night of the week, they're not a goaltender in this league is saving that. I really right. don't think that they are. So yeah, it's, I mean, it has to be the complete package, you know, and they're. Yeah, your Atticus is definitely really he is ticked screaming. off. I'm so sorry. Atticus watched the game too, and he's not happy. As you all know, we've been doing our shows via Zoom. Uh, but but Glenn's cat Atticus is definitely not he's happy pacing. about the results of this game. He is pacing the computer and he's not happy. So he's definitely not happy. Uh, but this That's one his goes- hot take. Night. This is hot take. Noah Maddox, a series 
doesn't really start until the home team loses. That's about the, all the positives I have. <laughs> LMAO. That's, I mean, that is a big thing because we've seen it how many times too, where a team can bounce back in their home games. And this is kind of what I predicted is that the Predators would come into Bridgestone Arena down 0-2. They'd win both of those games at Bridgestone. And then I think that's when Carolina would kick it in and the Predators would lose in six. Because mm-hmm. I think that, especially I think the Predators win game three. That is my big take is the Predators will win game three at home, feeding off that energy. And then something could happen. It could flip one way or another. But yeah, the home team losing is a big thing. The Predators though, when we look at the stats overall and their history, yeah, every team's different. But historical facts come into context here. They're really, really bad in the playoffs when they've lost game one. I mean, winning game one, pretty stellar. Losing game one, not the best. Not not the best at all. So let's look at the the next one here. This comes from uh, Zach Bodenheimer. Uh, Changing lineup for no reason. Two players that were playing well had no business not playing tonight. Third period, Himes didn't make any adjustments. And Carolina was a more physical team, getting 18 to 20 shots on goal. That's not winning hockey. Not the same Preds team of late. I mean, I'm looking at some of these takes on Twitter and they're very good. You don't always expect that. And this is not trying to demean anybody. It's that everyone understands how good Carolina is and understand the position that the Predators are in and how good they have to be in order to have a chance against Carolina. And I really do appreciate that, that I'm not seeing takes where they're making me roll my eyes as much. Well, yeah. And I think that a lot of people, what I'm seeing, they're they're also very aware of what the Predators team is capable of. Um, Yeah, the playoffs are a different beast. But not saying that, oh, it's not, I mean, yeah, it is possible the Predators could win, but we've, we've already given our takes on this. Neither one of us think that they're going to win the series, but we right. do think that they're capable of making this a very competitive series. And that's a lot of what I'm seeing on Twitter. And I think I'm seeing a lot of the frustration too of people knowing that and then starting to kind of see the wheels fall off and saying, come on, Predators, we've right. seen you do better than this, although you are matched up against a very, very difficult Hurricanes team. So. Yeah. Absolutely. This one comes from Zach. The muddy drunks could have produced more on the power play. <laughs> I stand. I stand that comment. Uh, have to play Tolwin on Wednesday, right? Yeah, I would think Tolwin would come in there. Uh, this one comes from that. Tim Wills. Lineup decisions. When do we scratch Duchesne? Please, God. Who? I I cannot see the Duchesne, the Duchesne scratch coming at all. I can't see it. I mean, he got the point. That's going to be difficult for them to pull off. And plus, he's an $8 million guy. That's It's going to have to be really awful. And granted, his ice time was very limited. That is definitely something to look at his ice time. His lines ice time was very limited uh, in this game overall too. So that's something to look at. Uh, This one comes from Melissa Duncan. I did ask a question on Twitter uh, yesterday, which is often the the brain and the heart feel different things about certain situations. So Mm -hmm. I asked people for their, their brain pick for the series and their heart pick. And I think everyone was on the same page for the most part. Understanding this is going to be very difficult for the Predators to win this. Their brain was saying Carolina in five or six, and the heart was saying the Preds in six or seven. That's, That's exactly what mine was. Yes. So I, I very, very fair. But Melissa says, brain pick earlier is probably right, but maybe a game or two less if things stay this way. Hmm. Yeah, there, there's also fair. that. Yep. This one's from Ragin Honky. That's spelled H-A-W-N-K-Y, just to clarify. Uh, that was bad. Bad third pair and a real lack of intensity in the second half of the game. Yep. Uh, this one's from 615KC. Hate to say it, but Duchesne experiment should be over. Uh, how do we how do we move him? That's, a, I think, more fair question because that is something you have to consider in terms of the future of this franchise too is especially now I've, I'm way more on keep the Johansson train than I'm on the keep the Duchesne train, even though there's been some moments where Duchesne looks like he's finally going to click. It's not happening, Glenn. 
I know. I agree with you, Justin. I think you nailed it. But also, Duchesne Train just sounds better. The Duchesne Train! <laughs> <laughs> this one's from Kim V. Uh, pretty much expected that, but hoping for a better outcome regarding the lineup. Coach simply overthought it. That's not the first time someone said that Hines overthought this lineup. So again, going on the theme here, there were, there's a lot of really good takes on Twitter. A lot of really good takes. I'm not going to touch Facebook. I'm <laughs> not going to touch Facebook with this. Uh, this one comes from Jared. Our third pair defense was the slowest thing on the ice. Lost this one before it started. Uh, maybe not before it started, but once you get to the second period, you're like, ooh. Then we started having some questions. <laughs> yeah, because, and here's the thing too, and I think this is a fair thing to say. If the Predators won this game, would there still be some question about the lineup? Yes. Would they be as heavy about the lineup? Nope. Because then it's like, hmm, well, something worked. And then you're just like, just ride That's it. True. And it really does come down to, and I was I was holding back from tweeting, if the Preds win this game, this about the lineup. If the Predators lose this game, well, this about the lineup. Because it is true. If they win, then you're like, oh, what? But also <sighs> depending in what fashion they won, I think would that would come exactly in. very good point clint uh last one here from kyle uh, that hook that guy hook uh has heinz really pushed the right buttons all season or are we winning because the kids are trying to play their way into the lineup because the lineup decisions complete lack of effort from the d tonight was concerning so i'm i'm kind of wishy-washy on, on this with with heinz i give heinz a lot of credit for a lot of things that have happened in terms of making some good decisions overall uh and riding certain players out and putting certain combinations together, like the Sissons, Janot, and Trennan. I've thought that line overall done really well since they've been together. Granted, it's only, what, 15-ish games they played together in the season, but they played really well. And putting a guy like Cousins with Hala, sure, I, I've liked that. And, and Mikhail Granlin has seemed to do a little bit better by helping some of the younger guys out and playing with Cunning and sometimes Tolvanen. But then there's other things, like earlier in the season, the scratch that Tolvanen had when he should have been playing or playing Pecorini a little too much. Uh, when they, I really thought he deserved a day of rest. And then this game. So obviously I'm not 100% sold on the lineup decisions and hardly anyone's going to be 100% sold on lineup decisions. But some of, the, some of these things really make me question some decisions, uh, even though Heinz does deserve credit for how they got to the playoffs. <laughs> I know, lots of words. No, I thought you were about to say something else. No, I totally agree agree with you and I think that lineup changes throughout the season I mean we kind of come to expect that right because you really are trying to figure out what works especially when you're a team heavy on injuries you've got a lot of young rookies playing and so you're trying to find placement for these guys that might not have had time to establish any chemistry at any time Mm -hmm. so I understood where he was coming from to a certain degree for most of those choices that he made Um, I did however question tonight And I will question a lot of what I've said before if something major doesn't change for Wednesday's game. I think that's. I will question a lot of what I've defended. That's that's a great cap to the show right (laughs) there. Just because there won't be much of an explanation, there won't be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's see what happens in Wednesday Wednesday's game. And folks, this is a Tuesday night. And there's game two Wednesday, and then game three Friday, game four on (laughs) Sunday. And then potentially a game six on Tuesday. The next time we talk to you, we don't know where this team is going to be at. <laughs> so make yeah. sure you're interacting with us on Twitter at Penalty Box Zero, Justin Bradford, and Rebecca Glenn. And we will go from there. We will see. Maybe it's a season wrap up, or maybe it's a hey, they're pushing it. They're pushing it to a to, to, to another they're game. Let's see what thing. happens. They're doing this thing. Push it to a game seven. So thank you as always, folks, for tuning in to Penalty Box Radio. More information on Facebook at Penalty Box Radio and Twitter Penalty Box Radio, Instagram Penalty Box Radio, and penaltyboxradio.com. 
Thanks to all of our guests, Abigail Martin and Boyd Farish, and for Glenn Blackwell, this is Justin B. Bradford. Thanks so much for tuning in to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025, The Game.